Good morning. Would you like to join with me um, in God's Word this morning in Genesis chapter 16? I'm very much looking forward to what Brendan will have to say to us this morning from this reading. From verse 1 of Genesis chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai ill-treated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. It is there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bought Abram a son. And Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had borne. May God bless his word. Uh, Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. Are you ready? Because I'm going to start with an icebreaker this morning, if that's okay with you guys. Um, And when you're in front of a whole group of people and you want to start well, use an icebreaker, right? Yes? Good. Okay, let's do that. Okay, this is the icebreaker. If you could have a superpower, what would it be? If you could pick any of the superpowers, which superpower would you like to have? Uh, anyone want to just throw a couple out there? Healing. Which one was that one? Healing. Healing. That's a good one. Yeah, on your birthday. That's 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 good. Yes, I love that. Uh, uh, yes, yes, Oscar. Eat as, eat as eat as much as you want to and never gain weight. That's a superpower. I think many people would like to have. That's a good one. Thank you, Oscar. Yeah, any, any other superpowers that people would like to have? Uh, 
The force, yes. I'd love to be able to use the force because that's a whole bunch of superpowers altogether, especially the Jedi mind tricks so you can, like, you know, tell your parents what to do. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Um, But we're going to talk this morning about someone in the Bible who had a superpower. Uh, But this wasn't actually a fun superpower uh, because in this person's case, the superpower was invisibility. Now, invisibility is all great if, you know, you find yourself at the shops and you didn't have any money and you want to buy a chocolate bar, you can just turn yourself invisible and go and steal the chocolate bar and then you have the chocolate bar. But invisibility is not fun if nobody sees you and nobody cares. And this is the superpower that Hagar had that Lois read about earlier. Uh, We're going to read through her story together from Genesis 16. So why don't you follow along? And Jordan, have you got it this time? Okay, last time I preached here, Jordan was on the screen. And I said, okay, everyone, let's open up our Bibles and it'll be on the screen. And I did up all the slides lovely for Jordan and all that kind of stuff. I was all ready to go and I didn't actually put them on the computer. So Jordan's like, oh, no, and he's trying to look up Bible verses while I'm preaching at the same time. He did a good job, by the way. But anyway, but this time, it's actually there for him, so good on you, mate. Okay, uh, Genesis 16, it starts like this. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Dun, dun, dun. This is a big deal, okay? This is a big deal. This is a big problem. Um, if you remember Abram in the Bible, he had a special uh, covenant with God and a promise was made to him. Um, God told him that you know, his name would be great and he would have a land to live in and he would have a family so big that there would be more than all the stars in the skies. Uh, but here's the problem. You know, Abram, he's now an old man. He's not getting any younger and his wife isn't getting any younger. And they still have no kids. And, and they're kind of too old to be having kids anyway. And of course, children were a big deal in ancient times. You know, if you couldn't have kids, many people would just identify that as being, ah, you're under a curse. That's how people would seem to think that, that you have done something wrong with your lives. There's some terrible sin that you have. And it would bring incredible shame on you and your family. And in an honor-shame culture, that meant everything. So Abram... He's been promised a family by God, by God, but so far he's received nothing. So Sarai, being, you know, being a practical one, she comes up with a solution. You know? She says this, she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And Abram agreed to what Sarai said. And what Sarai is suggesting here is not a new idea. For the people living in those times, this was kind of like standard practice. It was so important to have family that typically, you know, rich men like Abram would have many wives. But Abram doesn't do that. He has one wife. So in this case, a male head, a patriarch, if he could not produce an heir with his wife, a surrogate would be chosen so the family line would not be lost. And the honor would be restored to the family. The child would legally belong to Sarai. And that was just a social norm of the day. That's what people would do. All Sarai is suggesting is they go along with social custom. You know, no biggie. But when you consider the conversations that God had had with Abram, I think it's fair to say that following social custom was not what God had in mind. God had something better in store for Abram. 
And Abram and Sarai should have waited patiently to God to come through with his miracle. But because God wasn't coming through for them quick enough, they took matters into their own hands. How often do we do this, hey? How often do we get impatient with God? How often do we take matters into our own hands? I'm sure we're all guilty of this from time to time. How about this question, though? How often do we conform to a social norm when it's really not what God wants us to do? In our culture, so many things uh, about how God wants us to live, uh, how, sorry, how many, so many things about how God does not want us to live, they are normalized in today's culture. And it's not just you know, obvious ones like you know, lust and unfaithfulness, unfaithfulness in relationships which are normalized. You know, greed is normalized. Uh, consumerism is a social norm. Inequality is normalized. Sexism is normalized. Getting even with people who wrong you, that's, that's normalized. Uh, toxic workplace culture is normalized. And I think Christians have an incredible opportunity of saying no to the cultural norms that uh, go against how God wants us to live and point people to something better with the way we live our lives. Anyway, the other interesting part of this uh, passage uh, that we just read here was how Sarai uh, blames God. She says, the Lord has kept me from having children. Now, to be fair, uh, this is, again, a reflection of the social norms of the day. You know, if children were seen as a blessing from God and, and when you couldn't have a kid, it was because of God. But it also reveals that Sarai really, deep in her heart, she didn't believe in that promise that God had given to Abram. So let's move on. Uh, Verse 3, so after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai took, uh, his wife took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms and she knows that she is pregnant. She despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar and she fled from her. And this passage just speaks of so much brokenness in this family. You know, there's brokenness in Hagar, someone who was poor and vulnerable, and she finally got one up on her master. And she was really letting Sarai know about it. There was huge brokenness in Sarai, who first blamed God for her problems, and now she's blaming Abram. And Abram agrees with her plan of having a child through Hagar. And then, of course, you know, more conflict erupted. Um, Abram agrees for her to mistreat Hagar any way she, she wants. And when she gets the green light to mistreat her, she does. And then there's the brokenness in Abram. Now, Abram's a great man of God. The Bible tells us that he had the very rare honor of being called a friend of God. But he's far from perfect. He's he's a privileged man and he is ultimately responsible for Hagar. And he knows that she is the vulnerable one here. And yet he looks the other way and allows Sarai to mistreat her. Just like the priest and the Levi in the parable of the Good Samaritan, Abraham saw what was happening. He saw someone in need. And he chose to walk on the other side and ignore it. And how guilty are we of the same stuff? You know what I mean? Uh, We all live in the privileged Western world and this is a challenge for all of us. It's easy to turn a blind eye to the working conditions of the people who make our clothes. It's easy to ignore the toxic leadership structures and bullying in the workplace when the victim is someone else. 
It's easy to be ignorant to the extra challenges that you know, ethnic minorities face in our communities today. Uh, for many months, there have been a whole bunch of conversations in this place about how to reach out to the people living in transitional housing across the road there, um, how there's a whole bunch of people in that living arrangement. And uh, I'm really grateful that, you know, of some of Donnie's hard work in connecting across the road and looking like we're going to be able to do coffee chaplaincy there. So please continue to play, pray into that space that we might be able to minister in that space and uh, be, uh, I guess, um, not like Abram and not look the other way, but actually be involved in their lives. Anyway, let's go to verse 7. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar. Did you see that? The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar. The angel of the Lord called her Hagar. Throughout this whole story, nobody has called her by her name. Both Abram and Sarai only ever refer to her as my slave or your slave. She is treated so poorly that no one actually uses her name. She is simply slave. To Abram and Sarai, she is invisible. (laughs) They do not see her as a person. She is treated like a piece of property. She has no value and dignity, and she only exists to serve. She is less than human to her masters. Now, in Abram's and Sarai's defense, they are just treating Hagar in consistently with how the social norms of the, norms of the day would actually. That's how people would live. That's how people would treat their slaves. But God's view of people is much higher than what this world says about people. So to this person whom everyone else has rejected... God comes to her and says, Hagar. He knows her by name. He calls her by name when no one else does. He makes a statement about her value and personhood. She is no longer my slave or your slave. She is Hagar. And the angel of the Lord calls her by name straight up. And some people are really great with names. Uh, Some people, you know, they, they hear your name once and they remember your name forever. And others like me, well, we're not really good at that kind of stuff. So if you meet me for the first time, you might find me using your name too many times in that first conversation. So it sort of imprints on me. Um, But here's the thing, you know, God, he knows everyone's name. He knows my name. He knows your name. Uh, He knows people by name who don't even know him. He knows people by name who hate him. And he knew Hagar by name and he knew her pain. And he knows you by name. And he knows your pain. And I hope that can bring comfort to you today. Verse 8. And he said, Hagar, son of, uh, sorry, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. The angel of the Lord asked her two questions. Uh, where have you come from and where are you going? And Hagar's answer, which she's just got one answer. Uh, where, where you come from? My mistress Sarai. Where are you going? I'm going away from my mistress Sarai. Uh, She has no destination except for away. She doesn't know where she's going. She doesn't have a plan. She's just so desperate to get out. She doesn't even have a destination. All she wants is a way out of her present situation. And this is what the angel of the Lord says in verse 9. 
Then the angel of the Lord told her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant, and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. And he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. This is a cool promise that God is giving to Hagar here. Just as in ancient times, you know, to be barren was to see it as a curse, to give birth to a male child was considered an amazing, incredible blessing. And in those times when women sadly did not have the same status as men, it was a dream of young women to give birth and to, to raise the heirs of the estate. That kind of thing would be, you know, a really huge stuff for a young girl. And that would be more the truth for Hagar, an oppressed nobody. This promise of God, it would bring her status. It would make her a somebody. This meant it was worth going back to Abram and enduring the painful relationship with Sarai so that her son might be born and given the status of being a son of Abraham. Uh, God also promises that through this son, a great nation will become another tremendous blessing. God has great plans for this very low slave woman. Now, this blessing that he pronounces over Ishmael is very interesting. Um, He will be a wild donkey of a man. Doesn't that sound cool? Who here wants to be a wild donkey of a person? Uh, The idea here is that Ishmael will not be domesticated. You know what I mean? He will be his own man. There will be nobody ruling over him. He will not submit to the surrounding tribes or bend the knee to a foreign king. He will live in freedom, creating his own destiny. And yes, that will mean hardship and that will mean conflict with surrounding nations and things like that. But this is God's path for him to be his own man. And there would be hardship for Hagar too. She had to endure going back to Sarai and enduring the suffering to bring about the path that she had been promised. But now her suffering and hardship was not without purpose. Her hardship and suffering were leading somewhere and they were going to be temporary because they would not go on forever. Not only that, but she knew that she was not alone. God was with her in her hardship. Sometimes God leads us through seasons of hardship and suffering. And when he does, it's easy to to lose faith, to get angry, to blame God, and to run away like Hagar is doing right here. We live in a culture which is obsessed with comfort and removing hardship from our lives. Uh, We have air conditioners to stop us being too hot. We have all sorts of pain medications to you know, make us more comfortable. We avoid prickly conversations you know, and just sort of gloss over them and talk about the weather and stuff. So when we experience hard times, we immediately think that something's wrong, that we're on the wrong path, that God is shutting a door or whatever. That, and that can be the case, absolutely. But uh, the reality is there is hardship and suffering in the life of the disciple of Jesus. And we should expect both of those things. Uh, We should expect God to bring us both hardship and suffering throughout our lives. But we need to know that our suffering and hardship is never in vain. God is using this to to grow us. And he is with us through that, just like he was with Hagar. Let's read on. Verse 13. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. 
That is why the well was called Bir Laharoi. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. And this is cool, actually, because Hagar gets to do something that very few people in the Bible get to do. Uh, she gives God a name. She calls God in Hebrew El Roy, the God who sees. All her life she has been invisible, but not to God, never to God, because he is the God who sees. He sees her, he knows her pain, he calls her by name and he restores her. God saw her when nobody else saw her. He knew her when nobody else knew her. This is the God of the Bible, El Roy. And just the last part here. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Israel, uh, Ishmael. And what the, what the angel of the Lord foretold has come to pass. Hooray, she has a son. And Abram names her son, meaning that, she, that he had been accepted into the family. He is legitimate. To the woman whom no one called by name, her son was named by Abram. That's a big deal. And the other thing is because Hagar was seen as a surrogate, you know, Ishmael could have just been given to Sarai to raise as her own son. But that's not what happens here. Ishmael remains a son of Hagar. The poor slave girl's son becomes an heir to the family. And that's a great story of redemption. Uh, and it's a great story of the kingdom of God, really. The first being last and the last being first. There's one other interesting thing here that's worth pointing out. Through most of this passage we've been looking at today, it's the angel of the Lord that meets with Hagar and speaks to her. And yet, when we get to verse 13, all of a sudden, it was the Lord. It was God himself who was speaking to her. And when you consider, you know, angel in Hebrew is just a word for messenger. Um, we have a figure here who is a messenger of God, um, who is, you know, distinct from God, but actually turns out to be God in some way. And as Christians, <laughs> gee, that sounds a whole bunch like Jesus, doesn't it? Someone who is distinct from God, who speaks for God, and who turns out to be God. Someone who is proclaiming freedom for the captives. Someone who is declaring blessing over someone who has nothing. Someone who is declaring the year of the Lord's favor in someone's life. Jesus is El Roy, the God who sees. Just like the messenger of the Lord saw Hagar, called her by name, saw her pain, Jesus sees us, he calls us by name, he sees our pain, he knows what we go through. When we're at work and we're desperately trying to keep all the plates spinning and there are just not enough hours in the day, God sees. When we feel like Hagar, tempted to flee from our circumstances, God sees. When we're trying to do the right thing, even when everybody else is doing the wrong thing and is against us, God sees. When people we love hurt us, yet we love and forgive in return, God sees. And it doesn't matter what you're going through today or how far away you feel from God, he sees all. He sees your pain and he wants to speak hope and life into your pain today. That doesn't mean that you know, everything will magically be fixed overnight. Uh, Hagar had to go back and endure a dysfunctional relationship with Sarai for some time. But it was necessary for her so that Ishmael could receive all the blessings that were promised to him. Through all of this, it's great to know 
whenever we are faced with a season of hardship, that God will see us through no matter how bad it is. God saw Hagar through her hardship and will do the same through us. He is the God who sees us. He knows us by name. God knows what it means to suffer. He suffered on the cross for each of us. But his suffering was not without purpose, as it made a way for us to come back into the family of God, to be forgiven for everything that we have done, and to walk a new life with him. So this morning, I want to declare for each of you that God sees. You may feel invisible to others, but you are not invisible to God. He knows you. He knows you by name. He is calling you to come into his family. He has a path for you to walk and a way for you to live, which may well involve hardship, but is also be one of great blessing. Let's pray. Um, God, we want to thank you for this story of Hagar. This is poor slave girl who was treated so poorly and had nothing and was vulnerable and all those sorts of things. She was invisible to all those around her, God, but not to you. <laughs> not to you. Your, your eye was on her from the beginning. And uh, her vulnerability just, I think, just draws your heart to her. Thank you for the way that you called her by name. And thank you, God, that is a great encouragement for each of us here today, that no matter how lowly we might feel, that you know us by name. You, you know the number of hairs we have on our head, and you care for us, God. You see us in our situation, and you want to pronounce blessing over us. Thank you, God, that you bring us through times of suffering, and you save us through times of hardship. Not necessarily from the hardship, but through the hardship. And so, God, as we consider uh, where, you know, where we see ourselves in, in this week and this year and how things are going on, we just want to pray that we never feel alone, that we can understand that you're always with us, always calling us to great things, knowing that your hand of blessing is on us. So I just want to pray for anyone out here this morning, God, who is, who is feeling like they are invisible, that they might know that you are the God who sees. Help us each, God, to see each other as you see us, that we can care for each other well. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.